All three of the readings this morning from Exodus, from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and from Matthew's Gospel are about how we appropriate the idea of Christian discipleship in our own lives, and uh, they give us a little insight into the way in which the biblical witness, or one of the ways in which the biblical witness understands how God relates to the creation that he made and called good. So in the reading from the book of Exodus, we have another of the murmuring passages. We had last week uh, a murmuring passage, and we have it again. You know I'm very fond of them because they tell us a little bit about human nature, and they tell us a lot about God. Moses, Aaron, the people of Israel are on the march, and it says in today's reading they are going by stages, and they are in, at present, the wilderness of sin. No pun intended. But they camp at a place called Rephidim, and there we have... Uh, a, a number of Israelites who are anxious and nervous and worried and scared and also upset with the leadership, Moses and Aaron. They believe they have been brought out to the desert in this location. They're running out of supplies and there is no water to drink. And so they begin not only to blame Moses, but to blame God for this. So God tells Moses to take his staff, the same staff that he used to part the Red Sea, and to strike a rock that, that God designates for him to strike. And he does this, and water gushes out of the rock, and the people of Israel have water to drink. Now, on one level, and certainly for the community that produced this writing, this is about God's supply. It is about the inexhaustibility of God's supply. It is about the unwavering faithfulness and presence of God in the midst of what appears to be lack and difficulty and adversity. And it further is a reminder that God is present to the people of Israel even when they are complaining and kvetching and are anxious and nervous and worried. This reading will be taken up uh, by Christians and seen uh, as a type of understanding of the importance and the power of the sacrament of baptism, the living waters that come out of the rock, which slake not just our physical thirst, but our spiritual thirst as well, because Christian people believed being obedient to the Savior's command that when they baptized, they restore to unity human beings with God, that we become grafted on to the body of Christ, and that somehow we are embarking then on a pilgrimage whereby we understand in a deeper and fuller way God's purposes for us, that each one of us has a role to play 
in God's plan for the cosmos in big and small ways. <clears throat> so this is a reading about God's steadfastness in the midst of a lot of resistance on the part of parts of the creation that God made and called good. In a sense, this flows into the reading from Philippians because Paul, by the way, the Philippian congregation was probably one of the healthiest of the congregations that Paul founded. They were a group of people who understood their mission. There seems to have been less uh, internal conflict than, say, there is in Corinth. But he's giving them pastoral advice about how they should order their common life together as a community. And that this embodies and involves some species of self-giving on the part of all of its members. Embedded in this text, uh, by the way, is a primitive hymn about Jesus that Paul reproduces. And he speaks about Jesus' self-giving. And he tells the readership that this is a model for them to understand the nature of self-giving. And here's what I want to say about that. Most of the time when we think about texts like this, the speaking of Jesus giving up his life for us, the ultimate sacrifice, and that we are in some way to understand this as a model for ourselves, it turns out often that we think only in heroic terms about these kinds of things. And the truth of the matter is, is that you and I go through a lot of quotidian suffering, stuff that is really uh, ultimately not consequential, but it's nonetheless there, and it's annoying, you know? Those of you who have to get in the car uh, tomorrow morning and drive some distance to get to work and put up with the traffic, you know, people who have to contend with uh, difficult people, you know, sometimes you get into this uh, idea of what's uh, going on in your life and you begin to uh, believe in the truth of what the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said, that hell is other people. So rather than use that as a cynical commentary, Paul uh, gives us the idea that somehow the ordinary and the commonplace stuff that we have to suffer is for most of us the location for how we develop the interior self-regulation, strength and stamina to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of us on a daily basis. If we keep our gaze and vision only uh, towards those things that are heroic and think that we need to be like some uh, person who gives up their life in a heroic fashion and that that's what really counts, we're going to miss uh, sort of the slow and steady movement towards the building of character, towards the building of the kind of interior strength that we need to to do this, to respond to uh, what God wants us to do in the world. So what Paul says here is that we're to have the same mind in us which was in Christ Jesus. I used to puzzle over that and think to myself, what in the world might this mean? And then I thought about probably my favorite 
biblical passage of all from the epistle to the Hebrews. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And more to the point, from 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And so if we understand in some way that having the same mind is understanding Jesus as the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and development, that perhaps having the same mind as Christ Jesus is a way of coming to see more fully and clearly uh, who we are and how he is the model for us. The author of John's Gospel and the community out of which that gospel emerged believed that if God were walking around on the earth, this is who he would be like. And more to the point, they understood that when he taught them and when he performed his mighty works in their presence, they knew that it was not merely just a tableau which was being presented to them, but it was the means by which they could acquire tools they could use in order to be faithful to God's purposes. And so having the same mind in us which was in Christ Jesus means that we understood that they didn't begin and end with the Savior in his earthly ministry, but they now extend to all those who seek to believe in him and to understand his purposes for each one of us both corporately as the community of faith we call church and each one of us personally, our interior mental, emotional, and spiritual states. So Paul is giving them, through the use of this hymn, uh, some reminding them of the template character of Jesus' teaching and his works in the world. In the reading from Matthew's Gospel, some 3995 biblical scholarship, there uh, are a number of New Testament scholars who think this may be the earlier uh, fragment of what ultimately in Luke's Gospel, where it only appears, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. So this is called the parable of the two sons. And it's uh, about a number of themes. First of all, before he tells that parable or speaks the parable, he is questioned. We have complaining or criticism operating, just like in the reading from Exodus. Some of the religious leadership asks him, uh, by, from what authority does he have this teaching? So, gee, you know, it's just, it's a masterful press conference. In this day and age, the spin, it's, it's really good. He was very smart. They asked him, by what authority do you do this? And he said, I'll answer you if you can answer me this question. Is the ministry of John the Baptist godly or not? Does it come from God or does it come from human beings? So the people that are questioning him said, well, if we say it comes from God... Then we're all jammed up because if it comes from God, we have to accept what it is that he said, which challenges the religious leadership. 
If we say it comes from human beings, we're going to make the crowds angry because the people are on the side of John the Baptist. So they refuse to answer. They say, I don't know. So Jesus said, then I'm not going to answer you about where my authority comes from. Of course, the subtext to all this is by now, Jesus knows they're after him. And he's trying to keep a lower profile, if possible. But then he tells them this story about the two sons. He said to one son, uh, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And the son said, I will, I will go. And he doesn't go. And he asked the other son that he'd like him to work in the vineyard. And he said, I'm not going to go. And then he goes. So you can interpret this parable in a number of ways. You could say this is about not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. You could preach on this text and say that it has something to do with uh, delivering on your promises. You could preach on this text and say it has something to do with the fact that it's never too late to change your mind. You could preach on this text and, it, and understand it as being an example of God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And at the end, Jesus really gives us that uh, in a strong sense because he says to the religious leadership... The tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you. You know, when we die and go to God, we don't die and go to God because of our virtues or because we're a good person. We go to God or experience in the here and the now the presence of God because God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us and never goes away from us even when we complain and are anxious and nervous and worried and consumed with doubts and fears. He is always here. So I guess the lesson this week might have something to do with remembering that God is present to you. Understanding from Philippians that learning to practice the right kind of self-regard is very important in order for you to be able to understand how much self-giving you need to do maintaining your own integrity, but being an agent of transformation in the world and the bringing greater health to your relationships than before. And finally, I guess from the gospel, we learn that uh, building character is an important thing. Doing what you say you're going to do is an important thing. Character could be understood as living your life according to certain principles. So it's important to have some integrity uh, to what it is that you do and to 
walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Amen.